Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brock Jarvis, and you're listening to Zoot's Boxing Talk. All righty, everybody. Welcome to Zoot's Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twists. And how's everybody doing out there this evening, Wednesday, January the 8th, 2020? Our second show of the new year, our first live show of the new year. Last year was a pre last week rather was a pre recorded show with Tony the Tiger Lopez. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. Tony, one of the greatest guys to walk, to talk boxing to, plain and simple. Tonight we have Dafir Smith, Michelle Rosado, and Thomas Cornflake Lamagna scheduled to appear a little bit later on, of course. And remember, go to ringsidereport.com for all your boxing fixes, uh, entertainment fixes as well. I throw an article every once in a while. Randy Gordon throws an article up once in a while. A bunch of other great writers on Ringside Report. Shout out to Bad Brad Berkwitz. So this uh, past weekend was a pretty slow one in the world of, of boxing. Absolutely nothing on the American television, nothing on the applications, nothing streaming. You know it's a real slow week because what was one of the big focuses, Terrence Crawford's tweets, right? He and uh, Spence Jr. are now involved in the Twitters, as they say. And as far I haven't really kept up with it or perhaps care about it. In fact, I know I don't care about it, but I find I found it interesting in the aspect that so many other people were posting about it and commenting about it. But uh, all I saw was Crawford's post. I didn't really see much in a response uh, of Spence Jr. Uh, last week we talked about how Crawford and Tank Davis were going back and forth because uh, Crawford was goofing on Tank Davis after his uh, performance against Gamboa, and now his attention is on Spence Jr., and and you could tell he's desperate to get that fight, Uh, but I, I have a really good suggestion. Let's forget about all these nonsense tweets, right? Nobody should give a damn about Terrence Crawford's tweets in relation to another boxer unless they have a fight scheduled. Uh, Just an idea. I don't know if you have to listen to me or not, but who the hell cares what Crawford has to say if he is not going to fight the guys we want to see? Who cares, right? 
People were buzzing about the Sean Porter fight. A lot of people were ready to accept that, and it looked like the people on the, por- the Porter side of the the throne were getting it, were getting willing to get it done anyway. And uh, Crawford comes along and squashes it. Now he's trying to get uh, Spence into uh, taking the fight, and, and he's doing it in an insulting way saying that the promoters are an excuse to anybody who wants to fight. They say they want to fight. Oh, really? Well, I have an idea. Use your Twitter as something useful, Mr. Crawford. You certainly have a lot of followers. You certainly have the ear of everybody who follows you. Why don't you create a poll of guys that you think are worth your time or on your radar and have people vote? Who who do they want to see you fight? And whoever gets the most votes by the fans, the people who really matter in this thing, then you tell your people at top rank to make the fight no matter what. No excuses. How about that? Instead of hurling insults at everybody, boxers, fans, why don't you try and do something productive with your handle? Just an idea. And I like Crawford. I think he's one of the best talents in all of boxing, I think he's the the greatest switch hitter of all time. And the articles I've written about him, I've called him the shape shifter. I mean, he he really could do just about anything in the ring. I really was surprised about all the criticism he received after his fight with Mean Machine. Perfectly understood all the criticisms before that, but you got to remember it wasn't. Bud Crawford, who made Mean Machine the top contender for his title. But unless you think Bud Crawford has that much influence with the WBL, he was just fighting a guy who was ranked high, ranked number one, I think. Now, did Mean Machine deserve that number one based on his uh, lackluster performance against Ray Robinson? That's not something for Bud Crawford to worry about. Uh, I think uh, Charlo said it best. I don't remember which Charlo brother it was. I think it was Jamal. I think it was Jamel Charlo, actually, when he said, listen, I want to fight everybody, but I got to fight who's available because I got to feed my family. Perfectly understandable, right? And sometimes you get great fights out of fights that you didn't think were worth your time like Crawford and Mean Machine. Sometimes you have to evaluate the scope of boxing and the year of boxing based on the action that actually happens because I got news for you. You could go back 100 years. If you look at every year in boxing, there's going to be a handful of fights that people wanted to see that year that did not happen. But did what happen occupy your time? in an aesthetically pleasing way, that's how you have to start looking at it. And I I thought with Crawford and Mean Machine, I thought going in it was going to be a good fight because I knew Mean Machine. I wrote about it, and I said, uh, a Mean Machine who is taking this seriously and going to come with that kind of style and that kind of shape that he needs to be in, he's a tough hombre for anybody. Am I allowed to say tough hombre? I, I just did. And me and the Donald now have something in common. I didn't think, I still thought it was unlikely that he was going to beat Crawford, but I thought it could be a good fight. But Crawford against just about anybody is a tall order. 
So I, I don't understand Crawford's position. Top rank wants to package him as this wholesome guy. He's not the guy that gets in trouble and all this. And then he acts like a complete moron on Twitter. You, you could get your point across and you could get a lot more attention without the insults. Even though I'm throwing out insults left and right. So you go figure. But I'm just trying to make a point of what Bud should not be doing. If indeed what you're saying is true and a fighter can do what they want regardless of promoter's wishes, who is in a better position to do that than what some people consider the best pound-for-pound fighter in all of boxing? Some people, can, if not the best, definitely in the top five on most people's radars. You're in a position to produce what you want to produce. Or at least present it as you doing everything that you needed to do or you could have done to get it done. Now, we've seen instances in the past where insults on Twitter and Twitter uh, back and forth resulted in fights. I get that. But we're talking about guys that doesn't have the cachet that the Bud Crawford has. And you think it's interesting that now Bud Crawford is more vocal than ever about getting Spence in the ring after Spence got mangled in a car accident. After his guy, Bob Arum, said he has great inside information that Crawford, I mean, Spence rather, is in such bad shape that he might not ever fight again. Whether you believe it or not, that's another conversation. But prior to that, I don't recall Bud Crawford being so so boxy, for a lack of a better word, about fighting Spence. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't recall it. I don't recall the tweets. I don't recall the constant shout-outs. I don't recall the insults. Now, there's still a question whether or not the guy is going to be 100%. And now you want to fight them. Now it's all good. It's Twitter wars. It's Twitter bombs. Just a thought to throw out there. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the idea that Crawford and Spence is going to be Crawford's next opponent is probably way out there. I don't think that's going to happen. Doesn't look like it's going to be Sean Porter. Either Danny Garcia is actually Crawford's number one guy now in the uh, WBO. If he gets past Red Catch, can that be made? Certainly as a number one contender that Danny Garcia is, you certainly have to figure that that will be a much more respected fight. That could be a fight that Crawford embraces, right? If you don't think the number one contender is worth your time, then what in the world are we doing here? So that's a possibility, and I actually think Garcia is a worthy opponent. Uh, I mean, he and and Porter fought a very good fight. I don't think it was such a one-sided victory for Porter. Danny Garcia gave Keith Thurman a good fight. Good performances and losses. You have to be careful about that. 
But then especially the Sean Porter fight, I personally wouldn't have cried any robbery if they gave Garcia that fight. I thought Porter edged it, but I could have understood it going the other way. The number two contender for Terrence Crawford's WBO belt is Sergey Sergey Lipinets. Uh, I think he's uh, of the same cloth of a mean machine, uh, but I'm not sure he's as good. I don't think he's as big and strong. I don't think he's as quick. Mean machine, uh, especially against Porter, had some susceptible speed. And uh, envisioning them in my head right now, I see Lippinets as being a much smaller guy. Virgil Ortiz Jr. is the number three guy, and he's a very interesting guy because he could go up and down. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of great fights waiting for him at 140 and can move up to 147. He holds a version of the WBA weight title of 147. I mean, they got three guys in bold black with some kind of championship in the WBA. How about creating a Twitter war with Virgil Ortiz Jr. How about getting that fight made? Any shot of that happening? Then, of course, there's the other champion, uh, Manny Pacquiao, who is now connected to the PBC. So that's probably far-fetched, too. I mean, we, we want to see Crawford... Uh, against a guy that is going to at least be respectable, right? As I said before, there are not many guys that are going to uh, be on the other side of the ring against him that you think have a legitimate shot of beating him. The number one guy for that, in most people's eyes, might not even be ready health-wise. Does anybody really think Manny Pacquiao is a challenge for Crawford right now? That's certainly a big money fight, so I'm not sure why there hasn't been more of an effort to make it on Crawford and, and Top Rank's part. They got to believe Crawford could beat Pacquiao at this stage. And they got to know that's probably the biggest money fight for him outside of Spence Jr. So I don't know why there's not more of a push, maybe because... Uh, Pacquiao left top rank. Uh, I mean, with all of top rank's power and money and prestige, it would be silly for them to carry grudges like that. But I could see them not wanting Pacquiao to not to want Pacquiao to earn a dime on their watch, so to speak. So we'll see. I mean, we have Garcia and. Red Catch at the end of the month. Uh, Red Catch is a guy you have to consider as being a really big underdog. It would be a really huge upset if he managed to beat Garcia. But he's a guy that's going to show up and bring it and, and try his best, just like Mean Machine. And sometimes those kinds of fights with that, with those kinds of things going on, those kinds of attachments we get much better fights than what we have expected. 
But the early front runner for Bud Crawford has got to be Danny Garcia at this point. So that was what I saw as far as the big story. I mean, there was really nothing going on in terms of the heavyweight division, in terms of chatter. Uh, when we were on the air last week, we already spoke about Wilder and Joshua's uh, announcement, and that's going to really take center stage for a while. I'm sorry, Wilder and Fury, not Joshua. That would have been even bigger. But Wilder and Fury's rematch, I'm not sure what's going on with Joshua. It sounds like they're trying to get Usyk and Parker to fight each other and have Joshua face the winner. I know that Adam Kanaki was standing by as a possible opponent for Joshua, but Kanaki's fighting somebody else uh, in uh, Brooklyn, I think in March, that was just announced. So people are sitting around trying to get creative to see what's going on with Joshua. No fight announcement for him. But so far, Wilder Fury, since the rematch has been announced, has been pretty quiet. I haven't seen much in in terms of quotes or, or press reports. So they probably haven't got started yet. But once they start, it's going to be... Uh, a very entertaining promotional ride up until that point. Those press conferences are going to be epic. If indeed you like that kind of thing. I don't tend to get too carried away with press conferences. I don't really watch them. I, I mean, I read the reports of what uh, the fighters have to say. I understand why they're done. But when uh, things get... Uh, high in terms of intensity and, and insult and even fighters have to be broken up from time to time on press conferences. I don't really care about that. I want to see the fight. I know it's a different sport, but uh, Dana White said it the best when he had to talk to two UFC fighters who had to, who had a fight scheduled and couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't keep their hands off of each other uh, until fight night. And he said it best. He's like, if you two assholes want to fight for free, go right ahead. And that's how I. That's exactly how I feel about all this nonsense, pushing and shoving at the, at the weigh-ins, press conferences. That's how I see it. A good fight that is already in the mix does not need that nonsense for it to be sold, especially if it's a pay-per-view fight. I could be wrong, but I don't think there's ever been a big uptake in pay-per-view sales because of a push-and-shove contest that away in. I could be wrong, but I certainly will stand by that. And uh, if anybody has the time or desire to look at the data, if indeed they could even do that, I, I would love to see it, right? How many people have changed their minds about a pay-per-view after a circus at a weigh-in? Usually, by the weigh-in, the people who are going to buy are going to buy.
And speaking of press conferences, Clarissa Shields has gotten some attention. She has a a, a fight on uh, Friday. Uh, obviously, uh, there's been a lot going on with her. Her last fight was called off due to one of these instances where, she, as far as I know, she wasn't involved directly in the physical stuff, but it was her brother who was a big part of it, and the fight was called off. Now she's uh, defending her WBC and WBO uh, super welterweight titles against Ivana Habizin. And she uh, is getting attention for the way she's been acting at the uh, press conferences. Could be interesting to see the weigh-in will be tomorrow because that fight is a Friday. Be interesting to see what happens at the weigh-in. But uh, Clarissa Shields is one of those people that have created a, a negative vibe by a lot of the boxing fans, the boxing community. She is creating, uh, not that she's doing it personally, but there has been an aura created about her where a lot of people are tuning in to see her lose. A lot of people are questioning her uh, character, the, the way she's been carrying herself. And I know some people get crazy when I bring race to it, race into it but it's interesting when when this happens when this narrative gets attached to an athlete that uh, 99.9% of the time the athlete happens to be black you know if, if you're black you have to <laughs> carry yourselves and so you can't get away with things that other athletes do just an observation not saying that some of the criticisms Corvessa Shields' way is not warranted. But really, what she's doing at the Prince conferences is bothering you? Come on. She's not doing anything but trying to get inside of her opponent's head. And some athletes need to be in that type of a mindset where they have to say they are the best. Don't you all love Muhammad Ali, for Christ's sake? He invented this shit. She's just doing what, what has been done forever. Psychological warfare. While I don't think these things create any more ticket sales or pay-per-view buys, I do believe you could get inside opponents' heads with psychological warfare. And I think that's what Clarissa Shields is doing. Sometimes it backfires. Sometimes it motivates the other fighter to do better. I don't know enough about Shields' opponent to comment either way. But I do know the responses she has getting for the way she's been carrying herself at the press conferences is definitely race-related. You wouldn't be saying that if it was a white fighter or a European fighter. Just my thoughts. Same thing with Wilder. I mean, people kill Wilder about the whole I want a body on my record thing. Paulie Malinacci said the same thing. He said he wanted to kill an opponent. Nobody says shit about that. I, I wonder why. If it's not about race, tell me exactly what it is.
Starfare Smith will be coming on first. He'll be coming on in just a couple of minutes. Uh, we also, I mean, what we did not have last week in terms of fights on American television and the applications was certainly loaded this week. This weekend, I already mentioned that it starts on uh, Friday on Showtime, Clarissa Shields versus Havana Habizin. I'm not sure what's going on in the undercard on that, but I'm sure they're going to have more than one fight. Then on Saturday, the 11th, ESPN is showcasing a light heavyweight main event, Jesse Hart versus Joe Smith Jr. I was at uh, the pre-press conference when I covered Crawford and Mean Machine for Ringside Report, and they had a press conference about this fight. And all, all I could tell you is Jesse Hart, is, this is no made-up stuff about Jesse Hart and this revenge fight. You could see Jesse Hart is genuinely bothered by Joe Smith Jr.'s presence. And I think most of it has to do with him beating Bernard Hopkins. I mean, whatever it is, it's creating genuine animosity. Joe Smith seems like he doesn't care either way. But when you know that a guy has an alpha and has this revenge on his mind, that's got to create another psyche for you as well as a fighter. And uh, both of these guys, they think they match up stylistically very well. I think we're in for a good fight on Saturday night. Then we also have Jamie uh, Munguia versus Spike O'Sullivan on the zone as a main event. And that one is interesting to me because I know a lot of people who I respect, who I'm even willing to say know a lot more about boxing than I do. And they hold Spike O'Sullivan in such high regard, and I just don't see it. What has he done? To get this recognition. Again. People are going to kill me. But I think it all has to do with race. If Spike O'Sullivan. Was a black fighter. Doing what he's doing. I don't think he would get any recognition. I could be wrong. But that's what I think. Great way to prove me wrong. Is to go in there and beat Monguia who I think is just the opposite. I think people hold his feet to the fire a little too much. He's a young kid who's pretty much developing on the job, and I think he does very good. He's a big guy who's a banger. I'm not sure what the middleweight division is going to bring for him eventually. But I've been a lot more impressive what I've seen from Munguia than what I've seen of Spike O'Sullivan. Please explain to me what it is about Spike O'Sullivan. I mean, I have yet to see what people are saying about him. Perhaps this Saturday I will be proven wrong. I mean, and whatever Spike O'Sullivan is or brings to the table, the two guys that wear their style match up is guaranteed to be fun however long it lasts. It's either going to be one-sided, how I kind of think it's going to be, and Munguia is going to take him out in a pretty entertaining fashion, or it's going to be a pretty good fight where it's a give-and-take, battle-of-attrition type thing. It's not going to be a boxing match, and either one of the main events that we're looking at on ESPN or on DAZN have... Uh, a good chance of being a boxing match. So if if you like 
uh, a boxing match if you love Andre Ward. Uh, I don't think this Saturday is going to be for you. Not in terms of the main events anyway. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get Dark Fear Smith on the show. Welcome back to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twists. And remember to follow me on Twitter, Zoots Boxing Talk. Go to ringsidereport.com for all your boxing and entertainment fixes. You could also follow our show on Anthony George Radio on iTunes and uh, blogtalkradio.com. Our next guest is a professional fighter who sports a record of 27, 25, and 7, but his record does not even begin to tell the story of his boxing prowess. If you've never seen him fight, I promise you his jab does not hold second place to many fighters in boxing. He has a phenomenal jab has really worked hard as a sparring partner for such fighters like Andre Ward, who he also fought, uh, Gannity Golovkin, Triple G, and countless others. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Darfier Smith. How are you doing tonight? Oh, man, thanks for having me. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Pleasure is all mine, of course. Now, uh, I had you on the show last December, December of 2018, and right. you were looking to get a fight in February. You really wanted to uh, start being active. You had new management. Uh, up until that point, you were having trouble getting fights. You were confident you were going to get a fight. You wanted to start out at uh, cruiserweight and work your way back down to light heavyweight. But you've been very active doing what you're doing, but you have not had a fight yet. Is it because you can't get a fight? What's going on? Um, It's because I can't get a fight. But uh, my manager is working on that right now. It looks like I might be fighting February the 22nd in Delaware with D- on D-Lee Promotions card. And what is the big issue with not being able to get the fights that you want? Is it as simple as people just think you're too good, high risk, low reward kind of thing? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, a lot of people know that I've been robbed a lot. There's a lot of politics in this game, and it's still going on. Um, they know, the managers know if, if they pit, they fight in there with me, it might be the end of their career. So they're very smart. I'm really not mad at them about it, but I'm a little frustrated about it. I would think the frustration has got to be at a high level for you to not be able to get anybody to take a chance on you. I mean, we've had this whole calendar year of 2019 pass by and nobody's willing to to face you. I mean, you are, if nothing else, a great litmus test. If somebody looks good against you, you know what you have in your fighter, but nobody's willing to take that chance as of now. Nobody wants to take the chance. I'm, I'm really surprised, you know, I've been out since 2014 and I still got guys undefeated that don't want to fight me. I don't understand. They don't want to get a win, I guess, but they just really know that they're not going to get a win. That's what it is. Are you able to give us some names of people who have turned you down? Are you allowed to do that? No, I'm not. I'm not even going to put them out there, but there's some names. Um, Peter Manfredo Jr. He he made a he was he made a comeback and my man Javini tried to get him to fight me and they they said no they don't want that kind of fight him coming back off of two years he just came back they wanted somebody well easier. that in that situation I, I gotta commend them because of what I've seen of both of you you would eat Manfredo for breakfast lunch and dinner uh, <laughs> I mean I like Manfredo I respect them but. Uh, you're, you're you're way above his league as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I am. I mean, just when you got guys that's backing you up, backing you like he has, you can get the, that kind of record of him fighting for the world title and stuff like that. If I had guys backing me like that, you know, my record would be different. But, you know, um, all my draws is wins and half my losses is robberies. Now, just because you haven't been able to get a fight does not mean you have not been active uh, lacing up the boxing gloves, right? You are a, a, a guy who goes all over the world in spars. I, I, I think you were in uh, Japan 
uh, this past year and maybe even recently. Talk a little bit about your global experience and who have you sparred with since we last talked in December of 2018. Um, I just came back from Japan about a week and a half ago. I was in camp with Stephen Butler. He just fought for the WBA title against Murata. Uh, Japan kid, I, f- I forget his first name, but he just lost for the world title. Um, I sparred with Abney Yerderin in Turkey. He fought Anthony Durrell for the title last year, and he did pretty good. Um, every time they call me, these guys know that I'm going to bring that bring the fight to them and get them ready and prepared. Now, talk a little bit about what it's like. I mean, Japan, especially what's going on in the world today when somebody from America travels overseas. Uh, what, what's it like? What's the culture shock like for you over there? Oh, it's different. It's like a, another world. You know, um, the people in Japan was great. They treated me great. You know, um, the food was great out there. It was just like a whole other world out there. It just I can't believe it. Now, are you treated well when you go across the world? People know you're an American. Is there any backlash with that? Does anybody like give you a hard time? I, I, Japan, I wouldn't imagine it, but other places maybe. Um, no, no um, backlash. They treat me great. They know I'm a professional fighter and come and get their fighter ready out here to get ready for a big fight. Um, Turkey treated me great. Nothing but love. Now, this Saturday, there is a big, light, heavyweight fight. Top rack boxing and ESPN have Jesse Hart and Joe Smith Jr. in the main event. Talk a little bit about what you might know about both fighters and what you think of the fight. Um, Actually, I was in camp with um, Joe Smith before, getting him ready for a fight. I can see why he knocked out Bernard Hopkins. That kid can fight, and he can punch. I think that Jesse Hart is taking this fight very personal because he's trying to get the revenge back for Bernard. So I think he's probably going to run into something, and Joe Smith can probably catch him. Now, can you, you speak on that a little bit with the uh, heart and the bad blood? I mean, I find it kind of odd that see, he's so upset with Smith because he beat Hopkins. I, I can understand why he's fond of Hopkins and why it might upset him a little bit, but I, I really find it as an odd dynamic. As a fighter, can you relate to what Jesse Hart is feeling right now? Um, a little bit. I mean, I believe he he um, grew up watching him. I believe when he was like seven to eight years old, he ran with him um, for a fight. So it's very personal. He knows his family and everything like that. So it's very. I can I can see where he's um feeling some type of way about that. But what what does a victory over a Joe Smith Jr. do for Hart in the sense improve him? He's already had two failed attempts at a world title where he was just there. Can he improve? I mean, is this just a strict revenge fight? I don't see the cachet of it 
leading to something bigger uh, for Hart, especially if it's a tough fight. I just think it's strictly a revenge fight. It's a win-lose for him. I think Hart got everything to lose and um, Joe Smith got everything to gain. So it's a tough fight. I mean, I'm leaning towards Jesse, but Joe Smith got that power. Now, you're saying you think you might be able to get a fight soon. You obviously have been going around sparring. What else have you been doing to stay in what we call fighting shape? Uh, I, I stay in the gym from time to time and just help other kids get ready for fights and amateur fights and stuff like that. Just staying around the, around the gym and around the sport. and um, I'm in and out of the gym, but once I really have a fight set, I'm going to be in the gym. So I got something set. I'm hoping it looks like it's set. So I'm ready to go. I'm ready to pull a, um, Freddie, a Freddie Pillington on boxing. Now, in your preparation, uh, what do you do? Who do you look for for sparring partners? Oh, I got a lot of great sparring in, um, in this gym. Uh, we got Julian Williams that's in here. He's a unified junior middleweight champion of the world. I got some other up-and-coming prospects that's about to go to the Olympics and stuff like that. So I got I got good sparring in here myself when I got fights coming up. When I asked you the last time you were on this show in December of 2018, what would it what's it going to feel like once you get back into the ring after such a long layoff? That layoff has now been added on by a year, a little more than a year. So, how would you answer that question now? I mean, once I finally step in that ring, hopefully, I'll be relieved. After probably six and a half years being off, just being under those lights is just going to be me making my pro debut again. Now, it sounds like we're in a situation where you think the fight is going to happen. Is it, is it Are the contracts signed? Or are we where it's a done deal yet? All I know is my manager is saying that I'm fighting on February 22nd, and the promoters is working on trying to get me an opponent. All righty, all righty. So, uh, I mean, what else can you do? I mean, this is frustrating to listen to. Uh, what what else do you do to keep yourself sort of on even ground, knowing that each day goes by is each day where you're closer to your retirement when you haven't even gotten started yet, as you just hinted at? How, how do you stay even grounded mentally with that dynamic? I don't know. I, I guess going to go spar with these world champions and, and getting them ready and making history with them too because when I get them ready for fights and they win, it's like I got them ready for the fight and they won the fight because of me. So that gives me great joy too. So I look forward to doing things like that. Now, do you have to uh, do other things for income, or are you strictly uh, making a living as a, a sparring partner? Do you have another occupation that you have to worry about? No, strictly making a living as a sparring partner. And I do do personal training on the side. 
Now, as somebody who's a fighter and obviously in great shape and responsible for showing others how to train themselves properly, uh, the world of boxing has gone through a lot of evolution in terms of how fighters train. In, in the old days, fighters' diets consisted uh, heavily of eating steak, wearing the combat boots, chopping the wood and all that. Uh, some people still do the chopping wood, but the other stuff is not really recommended anymore. Uh, there's got to be a difference between training somebody just to stay fit and in shape and, and training to be a professional boxer. So talk a little bit about what you need to do as a, as a boxer. What do you think are the best things to do to train other than the obvious, the sparring and the running? You know, um, well, now, you know, they got all kinds of um, shakes and stuff like that, protein, stuff like that. Um, it's different nowadays. You know, you got all kinds of things that get you in shape more and better and all kinds of drinks that um, boost your energy up and all, all that kind of things, which is which is good for boxers, you know. It's not like how it used to be back in the day where you just run and that's it and get ready for a fight. It's a whole lot of different things that they do now to get in shape for fights. And lifting weights has always been something that has been uh, not really advised in terms of boxers. We've had some guys who've been chiseled, Adonis is very muscular, but for the most part, uh, lifting weights is not considered, at least heavy weights, is not considered really ideal for boxers. Where do you stand on weightlifting and how a fighter should approach weightlifting? I think weightlifting is the worst thing for boxers. It slows you down. I don't recommend it. Um, if you do, do it just lighter weights. You know, not big heavy weights because it's not good for boxers because it bulks you up and it slows you down. I think weights is not good for fighters at all. Now, you're a guy that's very chiseled. So how do you get your body looking like that if not through weightlifting? Um... A lot of sit-ups, um, leg lifts, stuff like that, um, crunches, um, dips, and stuff like that, and push-ups. You know, regular things to get your body chiseled. You don't need to have weights because all that do is really slow you down. That's for these other kind of um, people out here that need that kind of big weights and all that kind of stuff. When lifting 1,000 pounds and benching 1,000 pounds and all that kind of stuff, 300 pounds, that's not good for fighters at all, unless you want to be looking like a robot. <laughs> and, and what about dieting? What's the ideal diet for a, a fighter, for anybody who wants to be uh, in their best physically fit shape, for that matter? Um, I recommend um, solids, a lot of protein stuff, fruit, vegetables. Um, I'm working on getting on that kind of regimen diet plan myself so um i'm still learning so um i would i can tell you about that maybe next time once i learn everything all right sounds good now uh hopefully this is going to happen february 22nd and uh you really get to see if you can indeed be another freddie pendleton uh what weight class are you targeting when we spoke last you wanted to first start off 
at uh, cruiserweight. You actually told me you wanted to fight a tall cruiserweight first and then uh, go down and work your way down to light heavy again. Since you're having so much trouble, you might not be able to be as particular uh, in terms of the, the physical makeup of your opponent, but is it going to be a cruiserweight fight or a light heavyweight fight? No, it's going to be a cruiserweight fight, the first fight back, and then once I get on everything with this diet and everything like that with my manager, it'll be 175 the next fight. And what is your uh, opinion of the 175-pound division now? Sergey Kovalov is kind of like uh, leaving the mix, so to speak. We, there's a lot of really good fighters. Benavidev looks like something special. Uh, Dmitry Baval. You also have Gilbalder Ramirez, who fought Jesse Hart back there. Obviously, Hart and, and Smith. John Pascal is surprising a lot of people. Badu Jack is still a viable opponent, and a lot of people thought he won. Uh, where do you, what do you think of the talent pool at 175, and where do you think you fit in that upper tier of talent? I think Arthur Betabiev is the best fighter in light heavyweight. I was in training camp with him before, before anybody knew who he was. When he was 6-0 and as a pro, nobody knew who he was. He's the best light heavyweight out there, and I believe that I can match up with any of those guys. If I get me a couple wins in a row and go away to camp and get my head straight, and just focus on the fight, I could beat any of those guys. And um, Andre Ward told me the same thing. I can beat any champion out there if I get enough time to get ready for it. Now, obviously, Andre Ward, you faced him and you sparred with him, and he was very complimentary of your skills. Uh, as I did, he cited your great jab. It means a little bit more when a guy like Ward says it than me. But uh, it's good that we've seen the same thing, right? Talk about some of the things that you learned from Andre Ward. First, by fighting him, then by sparring him. Uh, what a fight. It was a great fight. I gave him a good fight. Uh, I mean, he's Olympian. Um, I tried my best, and he stopped me. But the trainer, Virgil Hunter, seen that I could fight and I had skills. So he brought me out to training camp. And I believe 2011 to get him ready for Carl Frotch. And it was history from there because I went to camp with him again the second time when he fought Paul Smith. And he's a great fighter, um, very smart, very, very intelligent, one of the best out there. And you've also sparred with Triple G uh, since we've spoken. He has two two now close losses with Canelo Alvarez and then had a really tough fight and a great fight with uh, Andrade. Not sure what's going to happen with him next, but he's a guy who you said hit the hardest out of just about anybody you've experienced combat with. Uh, a lot of people think now that power is kind of uh, not as uh, – obviously he's not winning by knockout in his recent fights. Uh, to do, and power is supposed to be one of the last things that go. That's at least what I've heard. So what, what do you think about that? Uh, do, you, do you think somehow he doesn't hit as hard as he used to, or uh, are these guys just uh, better equipped to handle the punches? Uh, I think better equipped to handle the punches, and um, his opponents is getting better. I mean, his opponents is better fighters. They're better than the guys he was knocking out. You know, 
I thought Canelo beat him twice. I thought he lost his last fight, and he's getting older. He's 38, 39, so his body's wearing down to me. All righty, so let's go through the whole calendar year. If When we hit December of 2020, I know everybody's yelling right now, like, why are you rushing the year? Well, it's my show. I could do what I want. December yeah. 2020, best possible scenario for Dart Fear Smith. What would you want it to be? I'm hoping to at least get four fights this year. And maybe by the end of the year, maybe fight a top fighter and try to get ranked in the top 10, top 15 in the world. Now, that is obviously the best possible scenario. What would be option three? Something that's not the greatest thing in the world for you, but something you certainly could live and be happy with. Um, Just me staying busy. Maybe get three fights and just, I don't know, maybe fight for some kind of Titles that can get me ranked, you know. All righty, all righty. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about Hart and, and Smith Jr. You gave a good analysis. Are you willing to go on record with an official prediction of, of that big light heavyweight fight? Uh, right now, 50 50. I really can't choose. All righty, all righty. Darfir Smith, so give us the particulars once again. Uh, February 22nd, I believe you said, was the target date. Whereat, obviously, no opponent is known yet, but uh, give us as much information as you know right now to close it out and give your closing remarks. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. So far, February 22nd, I believe it's in Delaware. Right now, I don't have an opponent, but I'm working on it. Just stay tuned. I'm going to pull a Freddie Pimpleton in this era and try to get me a world title fight or maybe win it. I'm coming. All righty. And once again, for the fans, any social media that you want to plug? I know you have Darfir Smith on Facebook. Is there anything else that uh, the fans could follow you on? You can follow me at Darfir Smith on Facebook, and you can follow my gym at James Shuler's Boxing on Facebook. All righty. Thank you so much for your time. And on Instagram. Thank you so much. And that's Dafir, D-H-A-F-I-R, right? Yes. All righty. Thank you so much for your time. And I really genuinely hope you get this fight on the 22nd. We'll be keeping an eye out. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Pleasure is all ours. And have a great rest of your evening. You too. All righty. So there you go. I mean, that, that's the dynamic of, of, of boxing that really does not get a lot of attention. And if you're only really aware about it, if you want to be aware about it, if you're working in boxing, like our next guest, Michelle Rosado, you certainly know it more than about it more than anybody, or Zach Familio, who uh, helped uh, connect both of those guests. Uh, but uh, if you just, even if you're a diehard boxing fan, you might not look at that d- dynamic of a fighter who is really good but doesn't have the kind of backing and support. So there's no position for them to get the kind of fights they're going to put them 
at the level that their skills might actually be. Let's see if this is the year that Darfir uh, works that out. And February 22nd is the date that uh, is the Wilder Fury rematch. And, and typically when you have a big fight like that, there's a lot of uh, boxing going on elsewhere on television and now nowadays on the applications and even in cards that are not televised. So that would be a good opportunity for him to get that kind of exposure and come back on a date such as that. We have a few more minutes for Michelle Raging Babe Rosado to come on. So uh, let us go back. So did I say everything I wanted to say about uh, the fights coming up this weekend? Let's recap. Uh, Clarissa Shields against Havana Habizan. I was trying to talk with Mark Jones and get Mark Jones on the show. Uh, but uh, that has not been able to work out. So I really don't really know much about Shields' opponent. I know a lot about Shields, and she's a, a hell of a talent, and uh, she's kind of creating this uh, personality and dynamic that I discussed earlier. And at the end of the day, like with all the other fighters before her, what happens in the ring carries you, right? If you start losing and you can't live up to what you're saying, nobody's going to care anyway. If you can live up to it and you look uh, dynamic like you have pretty much every time I've seen her, she's been dynamic. Uh, you're just going to create the haters uh, that much more. They're going to be a lot more uh, after you. Like, you know, and I, I don't know enough about women's boxing to know if she is fighting the best or this is a viable opponent. I do know last time out, a lot of people thought that she had a chance of losing, and I, I thought that was kind of odd. I mean, just by looking at both of those fighters briefly, the woman's name escapes me who she fought on Showtime, but uh, a lot of people were picking the win, and I didn't understand it. Obviously, Hart and Joe Smith Jr., I said what I needed to say about that. Uh, I'm not willing to offer a prediction. I'm not really sure. I mean, the the smart money would be on Hart. But until Hart can win in a big spot, I got to I got to beware. Buyer beware. Right? I mean, he, he's had fights where he's uh, finished really poorly, and I'm not talking about the Ramirez fight. We'll see. I mean, I, I would favor him. Logic says Hart, but uh, definitely has to play out. And then Mening Mungia and Spike O'Sullivan. This is the one, right? This is the one where I'm really going all out, right? I, I don't think Spike O'Sullivan is even close to being in Mungia's league, and we'll see if I'm right or wrong this weekend. So still scheduled to come on the show is Thomas Cornflake Lamana a little bit later on. And uh, coming up, we're scheduled to have Michelle Rosado on. So let's take uh, a quick break and get right to that.
All righty, welcome back to Zoots Boxing Talk, the boxing show where we bring you a sweet science straight up with no twist. And our next guest is one of the hottest rising stars in boxing promotion, working side by side with Jay Russell Peltz. Through sheer hard work and determination, she is now the leader of Raging Babe Promotions. She goes back and forth from Arizona to Philadelphia. I don't think she ever sleeps when she's not working. I see her tweeting about boxing all the time, so that's the first thing I want to ask her. How does she get her sleep? But I'm talking about none other than Michelle Raging Babe Rosado. Welcome to the show. Thank you, fellas. Thanks for having me on. It's a big, big week in Atlantic City. It is, it is, definitely, and we'll talk about that for sure. Before we get into everything that you're doing now and how you got there, let's first discuss how you first fell in love with boxing. Uh, when did that happen? Oh, man, I was a little girl. I used to watch boxing with my dad growing up, and um, it was just always a passion of mine. And he passed away in 97, and you know, I still followed the sport, and I was still a big fan. Um, so it just really started when I was a little girl. And to give us a time frame, what fights were you seeing and what fighters were you admiring when that was happening? So my earliest recollection, I remember my dad loved, you know, Sugar Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns, but I was still, like, too young. Like, I didn't really – know them or watch them. Um, but I would say Mike Tyson is the one that really grabbed me first. Like I, I understood boxing around that Mike Tyson era. And then I completely fell in love, like head over heels, fell in love with the sport when Tito Trinidad hit the scene. It was like love at first sight till this day. You know, I adore him the way he would make me feel when he fought, you know, he the way he would get up every time he'd get knocked down on the canvas, the way he would pound his chest, the pride that he had in being from Puerto Rico and being Puerto Rican. I mean, I just completely fell in love at that point. All righty. So let's talk about the next transition because there are plenty of people out there who grow up watching boxing with their with their parents that's how I actually started uh, falling in love with the sport it was always on the television at my house but very few make the transition to where you're at as a well-respected promoter so when did you know you wanted to start channeling those waters I left Philadelphia in 2006 and in philadelphia as you know boxing is like a religion okay there's fights you know once or twice a month there's a gym on every street corner you know philadelphia is a fighting city at one time it was the boxing capital of the country um so i kind of grew up with it in my veins and i knew about local shows and local fighters and the shows that would come to philly and atlantic city um when i moved to phoenix arizona it was it was really dead you know, I saw the gyms driving by, but I didn't see any shows. And I just thought, what is going on out here? And it actually took me a couple of years to finally go to a local club show in Phoenix. And it was terrible. I mean, 
the fights were awful, the promotion was awful, the venue was awful. Everything about it was just so run down. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, how can they do this? Again, I'm coming from Philadelphia where they take it serious. And I met an amateur fighter who was turning pro. And ironically, he was from Philly, but he had he relocated to Phoenix. And I met him, and he was an amateur turning pro. And he met the matchmaker, introduced me to him, and I got became friends with the matchmaker named Mike Sanchez. And after a year or two in 2011, I said, I want to do a show. What does it take? Mm. Because these shows out here are awful. And there was a lot of corruption in the commission at that time. A lot of um, the immigration laws were being passed or trying to be passed, and they were really tough on the Mexicans. So Oscar De La Hoya completely pulled out of Arizona. He used to do Friday night fights in Tucson. And he said, I'm not coming back to Arizona until they treat the Mexicans right. And then Bob Aaron pulled out too because of the immigration laws and everything else. So boxing was dead, dead, dead. You had people in the commission going to jail. They were falsifying records, medicals, licensing. They were bouncing checks. I, I mean, any bad thing you can think of was happening right before I got into it out there. And mm. I had no clue what I was doing. I asked my matchmaker to help me put together a budget. What would it take? I worked like 20 hours a day. I think I lived off of coffee and tuna fish. I counted hmm. pennies, nickels, and dimes off my living room floor. No lie to make sure that every fighter got paid that next day, the night of the fight. And um, I had to get my own sponsors, which I never did before. I was like flying by the seat of my pants. And it worked. Mm-hmm. Here comes fight night. We sold out. It was a big deal. And I was completely addicted. Like, that was it. I, that was It was like a drug. It was like I... I smoked crack that night, and that's hmm. it. I've been an addict ever since. <laughs> yes, and much more well-functioning than uh, what a crackhead would be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I feel like one. <laughs> uh, so, obviously, that was a very uh, laboring start. Talk a little bit about how you started working with uh, Jay Russell Pelch. You mentioned Philadelphia boxing. You can't talk about Philadelphia boxing without talking about him. And he took you under your wing, so to speak. Yeah, he did. So a couple years in, um, you know, I realized that I needed a mentor because I really needed to know how to run this thing like a real business. You know, I didn't lose money, but I wasn't making money. But when you break even at the club level, it's like a win, right? So And I was still engineering. I had a full-time job. I'm trying to promote shows. I'm balancing everything. I have no life at that point, no social life, no dating life, no sleep, no nothing. And I just really wanted to learn how to do it the right way. And I actually had a little uh, stint with Mayweather Promotions first. They found out I was doing a brunch for women. They loved the idea. They said, Floyd Mayweather wants to sponsor your brunch. I was naive. I said, sure, you know, sponsored my brunches. And I started working with them on the project management side and social media. And it was cool up until Floyd decided to put some abortion pictures up on his social media one day of his ex-girlfriend. And I was mortified and humiliated. And I had all these women come into brunch on Saturday, the week of his fight when he was fighting Madonna. And I was just Mm -hmm. so devastated. 
and I had to gracefully walk away from them and say, you know, all money's not good money. And, you know, I'm about uplifting women and empowering women and you're tearing them down, belittling them, embarrassing them. So, you know, I walked away and a girl in Philly named Brittany Rogers, you know, I became cool with her because she was promoting and doing matchmaking in Philly. She said, I really think you need to meet Russell Pelt. I think you would be a good fit with him. I think he'd be a great mentor for you. And I knew of Russell, but I didn't know him at all. I said, sure, okay. So I met him um, at the Golovkin-Rosado fight. I don't know, what was that, like 2013? That was my first time meeting Russell. And um, a lot of people kind of laughed at me like, oh, wow, you know, she left Mayweather. And, um, you know, she pretty much like if I downgrade it, you know, oh, she's with Russell Peltzer. I said, wait a minute, I upgrade it. You know, I'm with a Hall of Famer. I'm I'm with a legend. I didn't downgrade from Mayweather. So um, it was the best thing I ever did. He taught me the X's and the O's. He taught me how to play the game. He really instilled good values in me. You know, always do the right thing, even when it's not easy. And, and it's not. It's not easy. Do the right thing. You know, he taught me how to sell tickets, how to market the shows, you know, how to treat the fighters. And, he just taught me everything, down to the budgeting, the expenses. You, you know, it was like I went to school with him. And that's why I'm still around today. I think if I didn't have him, I probably would have lost my ass, you know, my second or third year in. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really did, you know, teach me everything I know. Now, you mentioned Gabe Rosado. He is also very important to your story. Talk a little bit about that. Well, we have the same last name. We're both from Philly, but we're not related. Um, and we actually met, oh, God, six, seven years ago on Facebook, where, you know, he's a fighter. He saw me promoting. He thought it was cool. I was always, you know, a fan of his on the club level when he was, you know, just fighting in Philly. And one night, you know, we just ended up meeting up to talk about, at that time, he wanted to make T-shirts, okay, like, he wanted some mm-hmm. Dave Rosado t-shirts. And I'm like, yeah, I can help you with that. And uh, we met one night and we ended up talking for like three, four hours over dinner. And we said, okay, let's work together. And he's the first guy I ever worked with. So again, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I started mm-hmm. getting his sponsors and I worked on his branding and I started getting him all the, all this media attention. You know, I would hit up boxing scene. I would hit up these podcasts. I would hit up anybody and anybody that was willing to talk to him just to get his name out there. So I cut right. my teeth with Gabe as a fighter. Yeah. And, and here we are. Now today. you've heard. Yeah, indeed, indeed, and he's one of the most well-respected guys in boxing. He, just fight, will fight, he, fight anybody. He he's honestly been another good mentor for me. I mean, he's such a warrior. He's so relentless. Every time I think about giving up, throwing in the towel, I'm like, I work with Gabe Rosado. Yeah, I mean, he would strangle me if I did something like that. I do remember when the Mayweather thing was happening, he did tell me, you have to walk away. You you cannot right. be a part of that. And he always gives me really sound advice. He really cares for me. And he's relentless. And he'll fight anybody. And he's got, he's got a lot of pride. And you can't break his spirit. People make fun of him. They joke about him on social media. You cannot break his spirit. So, you know, he's taught me a lot about, you know, just kind of staying strong and holding my own. And more importantly, standing on my name. You know, if my name is on something, that's my reputation. You know, I'm going to have to take pride in that. So that's the part of the business that he taught me. 
Now, it's one thing to see it from a perspective of a warrior like that, like like you said, but it's a completely other thing to do it yourself when you're faced with things that might break your spirit. Has anything like that happened to you where you really had to dig deep uh, other than the thing with the Mayweather? Yeah, in the beginning when I was promoting shows in Phoenix, I wasn't really embraced right away. First of all, I wasn't from Phoenix. I wasn't Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. Um, I'm a woman, not a man. I had like three strikes against against me from the jump. And um, I'll tell you, I mean, my house was vandalized. I had bricks thrown through my car window. I was called wow. all types of names, racial slurs. I had my shows try, you know, they tried to sabotage fights. Um, it, it was pretty bad. I mean, there was nights where I would go to bed crying like, what am I doing? What am I doing this for? You know, I, I didn't know what that light at the end of the tunnel was going to be. Um, I, I, I suffered really bad from anxiety, but I just kept pushing. I mean, it was a really, really bumpy road. You know, this can be a very dysfunctional and abusive business. Um, right. But I just had to remember the stuff that Russell taught me. Focus on your own business. When you start worrying about other people's business, right, yours takes the back seat. Worry about what you're doing and how you're doing it and how you're going to make your money, and that's it. You know, forget about what everybody is saying. And, again, always do the right thing. While everybody's out there doing dumb shit, stealing, lying, you know, treating fighters not good, always do the right thing. You know, you can't go wrong with that. So those are the principles like I just held and kept moving forward with, um, which led me to here we are eight years later. You know, they're still the same philosophies I believe in. All righty. Thank you for that. Now, you talked about these three dynamics, being from out of town, not being Mexican, being a, a female. Was there one of those elements that was created that created more animosity than the other or was a comp or was it just an equal combination of all three? I think back in twenty eleven it was more about me being a woman. Today you see a lot more women in boxing and I love it. Like you see it. They're there. In twenty eleven they were there but more behind the scenes. You know, they were kind of making the engine go behind the promoters. But uh, right. In Phoenix, they just really had a problem because they're so machismo. Hispanics are very machismo. So, you know, who does she think she is? You know, she this. It was more about me being a woman. And then I would definitely say the Puerto Rican angle was second. You know, I wasn't one of them. I wasn't from right. there. I didn't speak their Spanish. I didn't look like them. And I had the East Coast hustle and swag. They just didn't like it. They didn't. And, and a lot of them actually went out and took promoter licenses out. They went to the commission. They took out licenses because they said, well, she can do it. We can do it. And they lasted like one show and they were done because <laughs> they lost their ass, you know? So they right. eventually they learned to accept me. Like now when I'm in Phoenix, oh my God, I could walk into every gym. I know everybody in there, every trainer, every manager, they all love me. They hug. But in the beginning, definitely was not like that. At all. I had tickets thrown in my face. I was called six. I mean, the whole nine. 
All righty. Good stuff there. Now, obviously, you have now come to this position where you are promoting your own cause, doing your own shows, Raging Babe promotions. Uh, talk a little bit about the everyday life of creating a show. What, what are some things that you have to do as a promoter that people might not know about? I mean, the obvious is the budget, making sure you could pay everybody and all of that. What other things are there that you have to do that you have to put up with that uh, people might not know about? Well, you know, you put your budget together. Yeah, there's the fighters. You know, you got to pay the fighters. But people forget about the other 120 other line items. You know, there's surety bonding. There's licensing fees. There's medicals. These these fighters have to get medicals. Who pays for it? The promoter. Um, There is commission fees. You have to pay the officials, the judges, the commission. I mean, I have a list of 120 people that I have to pay at the end of a show. So, you know, it's pretty cumbersome, even down to the ring girls, the venue, the security, the liability on the building. Let's say somebody gets hurt in the building. Who's liable? The promoter. You know, I have to take out like million dollar, two million dollar liability policies. So it's a, it's a lot, even on mm-hmm. a small show. So these, these big promoters, you know, you got to give them credit because, you know, you see the glitz and the glam on TV. It all looks real pretty, but holy cow, behind the scenes, it's brutal. Yeah. Indeed. Now, I've spoken with Don King, and he has told me, you know, you've done your job as a promoter when the fans are saying, when is the next one? What do you do? What is your approach to make sure at the end of your shows, people are saying that? When is the next one? The, The key is making good fights. And thank God I still have Russell Peltz around. He's my matchmaker. And he knows the fights. He, nobody does it better than him, especially, you know, in Philly or on the East Coast. And he makes terrific fights from the undercard, from the very first fight. You know what you're going to get up to the main event. And everybody leaves. They're happy. And when they see, oh, it's a Raging Babe show. Oh, it's a Pelt Boxing show. They know the products we're going to serve. They don't even, let me tell you, they don't even question us now who's fighting. So if I put out a tweet tomorrow and I say, Oh, I'm going to do a show on March 27th in Philly. We're going to have people call in the office. Hey, hold me two tickets. Make sure you got my five. I'm going to get the 10 on the west side. They don't even know who's fighting, but they know when Russell matches fights and I'm running Mm. a show that they're coming. So, and I think that's something that boxing needs to do a better job at being consistent and making better fights, even on the undercard. Let these people who are spending their hard-earned money on tickets, be satisfied and say, when's the next fight? Or when another fight does pop up, they don't even care who's fighting because they know it's going to be good. So thank God we have that reputation, and Russell especially has that reputation where we serve up a good product and they're going to come back. It's like the drug game. You serve up good drugs, they're going to come back and buy more. That's exactly what we do in Philly. All righty. Now talk about your very first Raging Babe car, that that very first one where you were, your name was above the title, so to speak. It was your show. Well, that that was in Phoenix. 
And actually, that was probably my favorite show because I had no idea what I was doing. Thank God I didn't lose money. I broke even, sold out. Everything was great. But that show got me the cover of the Phoenix New Times. And what was special about that, not that I was on the cover, because I was actually like, I couldn't believe it. I was embarrassed. I was still engineering. I had all my technicians coming in with magazines of me in this like red mini skirt. I couldn't believe But they dubbed <laughs> me the Raging Babe. They came up with that. That wasn't my company name. That, was, that wasn't my nickname. So if it weren't for wow. them, there, wouldn't have, wow. there would be no Raging Babe today. So when they put me on the cover, they wrote this amazing story about the tough immigration laws in Arizona and how I was going to bring boxing back to its glory despite what was going on with those immigration laws. I didn't need to bring fighters from Mexico. I didn't need to abuse them and lie to them and not pay them. And there was enough local fighters in Phoenix. I didn't have to go to Mexico um, and bring them here illegally. And that's what I did. And they wrote a really nice story about that. And they, right on the cover, they put Raging Babe. And that was it. And I said, I got a trademark it. It's perfect. That's mine. I changed my entire company name, the whole nine. And that's how you got Raging Babe. Now, you already talked about what's going on this weekend. Big card in Atlantic City. Talk a little bit about that. Atlantic City. So, I want to first, like, rewind a little bit and talk about Atlantic City. Back in, I don't know, like 1978, when they legalized gambling, boxing took off in Atlantic City. All the casinos were buying these big fights. They were, pay- they were paying, like, really big site fees. And all the big fights took place out here in the 80s. I mean, Roberto Duran, Barclay, Barkley, Matthew Saad Muhammad fought out here, Jeff Chandler, Michael Spinks, Larry Holmes, Aaron Pryor, Mancini, um, all the big guys. Frank the Animal Fletcher fought out here, Vander Holyfield. It was booming. Boxing was the spot. It was, like, the capital and then right behind it was vegas you know they were probably like neck and neck but Mm. everybody was flocking to atlantic city and then the 90s like mid 90s like a tour god gaddy kind of came in and he started becoming an attraction you know before he like really became big in 2000 but you had lennox lewis fighting out here and james tony and uh foreman holyfield happened at boardwalk hall and then all of a sudden it kind of fell back into the pack where all of a sudden it was Vegas again and other casinos started opening up on the East coast in Connecticut, um, Mississippi. You had all these other casinos opening up and now they started paying for fights. So the fights in Atlantic city became a little mediocre. They weren't as glamorous. And then in the two thousands, you just had a tour of Gaddy out here. He was like the big thing. And yeah, Cotto fought out here. And I think Mayweather Gaddy happened out here, but it just was never the same. So it really died off, and it was like a slow death. And in recent years, you know, Top Rank has really talked about, you know, doing bigger shows on the East Coast. You know, you've seen them doing shows in Philly. They came to Atlantic City uh, last year, and now they're here again. And they want to get the fire burning out here. And the the casinos and hotels are still a little bit hesitant, but, you know, it's the promoter's job to, you know, sell the fight, sell the tickets, bring good fights here. So I think we're off to a good start in 2020, you know, with what we see happening here. Um, but it's a really great main event. Jesse Hart, Joe Smith in the main event. They're calling it a grudge match. You know, Jesse Hart feels some type of way 
because Joe Smith, you know, knocked out Bernard Hopkins a couple years ago, knocked him out the ring, ended his career. Jesse takes that personal because Bernard is his mentor. You know, he looks up to Bernard. Um, Joe Smith is a big puncher. And you know one thing I like about Joe Smith? You know, everybody knows he was a union construction worker from Long Island. He made his money, and he went and opened a landscaping business. So he's chopping down trees every day. He's always in shape. You know, he don't have to get in shape. He's out there working. He's still a blue-collar fighter. You know, he's not comfortable. He's not living lavish. He's coming to win. You know, and he even said, I don't know why Jesse's making this personal. I, hey, you know, good for him, but I'm coming to beat him. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing personal here. I'm coming to fight him and win. So, you know, and Jesse can punch too. So in this fight, it's like anything can happen. And it's going to be pins and needles. And I think there's going to be a lot of ruckus. And I think it's flown under the radar a little bit because of the holidays, like on social media. You know, people kind of took off for Christmas, took off for New Year's. But this week you see people getting excited. They're talking about it. They're tweeting about it. It's a great main event. It is indeed, indeed. Now, uh, we have Thomas Kwan Frank Lamont is coming on soon. We are going to uh, ask you a couple more questions and then wrap it up. I wanted to get to the uh, web series that you have coming out. Uh, I'm not sure if it debuted yet, but talk a little bit about that because I think that's a very interesting topic. Yeah, so Boxing Moms, it's, it's something that I thought of years ago. And I decided, you know, to finally pull the trigger on it through, you know, my promotional work. I have become friends with a lot of the mothers and I've had to work with them a lot. And I've gotten to see, you know, the pain and the glory that they go through and the stuff that they endure and how involved they actually are in their son's business, in their career. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of these mothers are hustling tickets hanging up posters, taking care of the contracts, making sure the medicals are done. I I mean, you wouldn't think that, but it's true. You know, and it's a roller coaster ride because she still has to watch her son fight the night of the fight, get hit in the head, you know. So there's a lot of triumph here in this series. There's a lot of sacrifice, blood, tears. But I just wanted to take people on that journey of being a boxing mom and what she endures, especially, you know, in 2019, we lost a couple fighters in the ring, and now they're more scared than ever. You know, when their sons are climbing through those ropes, you know, it's the scariest moment for them. Um, But, you know, during camp, the the kids are trying to cut weight, and the business itself isn't too pretty. You know, and a lot of times it's the mom that has to deal with this and care for the fighter, and they end up being the punching bag. They end up being the nutritionist in camp. They're the life coach. They're the business manager. They're the son's counselor. They're everything. And I know we like to talk about the trainer a lot, and we like to talk about the dad, but the mom is the unsung hero. Indeed, and I really appreciate this approach because when I when I heard about it and was thinking about it, and I've been watching boxing for a very long time, uh, in the early days of my uh, boxing watching or whatever you want to call it you never the only time you saw a fighter's mom is when they were this eccentric character frank the animal fletcher's mom who you already mentioned mm-hmm. hector Maca, hector macho camacho they were like more of a caricature of a, a, a rabid fan than 
what you want to really bring to the table of what a boxing mom really is. So I, I'm really looking yeah. forward to that. How, how could we see it? Uh, so at the end of the month, it will be available exclusively on YouTube and IGTV. Obviously, we want it to grow and be bigger and eventually get picked up by a network. But this one, I invested in it myself. It's from the heart. I know everyone is going to love it. These are influential women in boxing who are mothers. And, you know, I'm, I'm just hoping everybody supports it and can put themselves in their shoes. So YouTube and IGTV. Thank you so much. And uh, in closing, what are you working on in terms of your next show? Well, we got the big show in Atlantic City, as you know, Saturday. So that's really been my focus, the Jesse Hart, Joe Smith fight. The undercard is filled with local flavor. You know, Joseph Adorno was just named like the number 13th prospect of the year by ESPN. His brother, Jeremy, Sonny Conto, who's a South Philly heavyweight, He's going to bring a ton of people from South Philly to Atlantic City. So I've been really working on this card and trying to make it a success. And then I'll be back in Philly with Russell Pelt in, at the end of March. We haven't announced the date yet, but it will be at the end of March in South Philly. So what, what happens once this card is over and in between that time period between then and the end of March? What are you busy doing then? I'm working on March. So what I like to do is I usually like to give myself six to eight weeks to work Mm -hmm. a club show. And they're much harder. You know, it's not like I'm putting on big names. I don't have title fights. I don't have television. I don't have gimmicks. I have to sell boxing. I have to sell good fights. Why do we want to go to the arena? We don't know Joe Smith from North Philly because he's in a good fight. That's why. So I have to sell the fight, not the names, not the belts, not the television network. I have none of that. So it takes me a good month and a half to two months. So as soon as I leave Atlantic City, Monday morning, I'm on the phone with Russell, and we're matching the card. I'm I'm, securing the venue. I'm securing subcontractors. I'm getting my staff ramped up. You know, I'm, I'm putting things on hold. I'm reserving things, even down to my ring girls. I'll call them two months ahead of time. Hey, I need you on March so-and-so. I lock everybody in right away. Um, I, you know, I'm a little OCD like that. I, you know, I, stick, I, I have a schedule. I have a whiteboard. But, you know, it takes me a good six to eight weeks to turn around a really good show. Um, so Monday morning I'll be working on the March show, like full steam ahead. All righty. Sounds great. And uh, this is really the last question I wanted to ask this, and I forgot okay. before. Who are some of your uh, favorite all-time fighters in fights? Well, I would say, well, my favorite fighter of all time is Tito Trinidad. I mean, I fell in love with him. I fell in love with the sport. And then I would say um, my favorite go-to fight is probably Aaron Pryor and Alexis Aguayo. I can never say his last name. Mm-hmm. Arguello. Arguello. Arguello, yeah. Arguella, I, I yeah. kill the names all the time, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, that that's probably one of my favorite fights. Um, I would say maybe Corrales. I'm drawing a blank. Um, Corrales and Castillo? Yes, yes. Corrales Castillo. Gotcha. 
that's another one. Um, but you know, my heart is in the club level scene. You know, I would right, I would name right, some right. fights for you right now that you would you would have never even heard of these guys. You know, I've seen right. some better fights on the undercard of some shows than main events. So you know, my my heart's in the club scene. All righty, sounds good to us. And uh, you still haven't told me when you actually sleep, but you don't have to share that publicly. Well, we know you I don't. really, yeah, yeah, I really don't. <laughs> so thank you so much, Raging Babe, Michelle Rosado. Now's the time for some closing remarks. Any social media you want to plug, uh, throw another shout out to the card Saturday and to your web series. It's been a pleasure. All right, thank you. Just give me a follow, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at Raging Babe. Boxing Mom launches at the end of January and will be available on YouTube and IGTV. Um, You can go to RagingBabe.com. If you're in the Atlantic City area, if you're in Jersey, New York, Philly, get your butt to Atlantic City this weekend. Really good fights going on at the Hard Rock Casino. Tickets at Ticketmaster. And thank thank you you guys for having me on. That was fun. All righty. It's been a pleasure. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye. All right. So so there you go. Another uh, instance of hard work paying off. And our, our next guest is certainly uh, an example of that as well. He is a, a professional fighter who – one of the first professional fighters I've ever had on Suits Boxing Talk. He now has a record of 28-2-1. Ten of his big wins are by knockout. He has a, a very important fight coming up. He is the number 12th ranked fighter in the super middle, super welterweight division, rather super welterweight junior middleweight. Not which, not sure which title he prefers. He'll tell us he's fighting the number six ranked junior middleweight Jorge Acoda of, of on the undercard of the Julian Williams fight so you don't have to be a, a genius to to figure out what that fight might mean to the winner have you figured out who it is yet if you haven't he's also a promoter too Thomas Cornflake Lamana welcome back to the show hi how, how, how you doing I'm doing great how you feeling tonight awesome <clears throat> I feel great I'm feeling great just home relaxing and um just uh, just enjoying life. All righty, sounds sounds like uh, you are definitely focused and uh, ready to go. So let's talk about mm-hmm. the big fight coming up. It's uh, on uh, sure. January the 18th against Jorge Coda, number sure. five versus number twelve, or is it number six? Is num- number six I versus think number he's twelve? Number six, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, uh, big opportunity from my understanding. This is going to be also televised on, on Fox 5, an undercard fight. So talk a little bit about it and what, what you've been doing to prepare. Yeah, man. I mean, <clears throat> huge opportunity, you know, for both me and uh, Jorge Cota. He's been on, you know, he's been featured on uh, you know, a big level, I should say. You know, I've been, you know, fortunate enough to be featured on, <clears throat> you know, a showbox you know, um, uh, CBS, you know, stuff like that, you know, Sportsnet, I should say. Um, you know, so I've been fortunate for that. Obviously, you know, Cordes fought the likes of Ruben or uh, Charlo, you know, J-Rock's opponent, Rosario. He he lost a split decision on that. 
I think he beat a couple guys also on t- on PBC. Um, Edel Johnson. Like, there's a couple guys he's been in there with. So um, you know, a huge opportunity for both of us. It's a um, I called to change my life tour. Obviously, you know, it's <clears throat> 2019 wasn't great for me. You know, I only fought once. A lot of um, letdowns. A lot of you know, things that were completely out of out of my control. Um, but you know, like I needed that. I needed to get uh, a piece of humble pie. You know what I mean? Um, I understand that you know the the boxing game don't love you, and you know I just needed this year to really open my eyes and see you know how things are. You know, both in and outside of the ring. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, man. Uh, January 18th, Jorge Coda. Like I said, it's a change in my life tour. <clears throat> and uh, you know, after this. You know, we get this dog, God willing, you know, moving on to bigger and better things. And, um, you know, maybe a potential title opportunity um, uh, towards the end of the year. I mean, you never know. Now, you mentioned you only fought once in 2019. And in that fight, you stopped your opponent in a one round. That fight was mm-hmm. in August. So a, a lot mm-hmm. of time without fighting a professional yeah. fight and here you are in your most important fight of yeah. your career up until now uh i mean there's no substitute for for fighting obviously but so what have you done to stay in shape uh, while you were going through some things that you sound like were troublesome for you you want to know yeah well so i mean honestly i've been in the gym all year i mean i had fights fall through you know i mean uh Hami Mugia. Uh, I was I was supposed to fight Hami Mugia for sure for sure one time, and then um, when, when he fought Dennis Hogan, what happened was WBO was training for that fight. Dennis Hogan it was the mandatory at that time, so he got the you know he got the call and obviously he had first dibs and they made a deal out to do that, so that kind of fell through. Then what happened was I was supposed to fight Patrick Texera, who's now the champ on that card as well. <clears throat> Um, they were, you know, I was, I was pitched, you know, one number, you know, a purse. Um, you know, I agreed to just about everything. You know what I mean? I didn't like that I had to go to Mexico, but, uh, I would have had to go to Mexico, but, um, uh, you know, I agreed to everything and I got the paper and it was like less than half the money that, that I was pitched to me and that I agreed, that I had agreed to, and it was just like complete bullshit. So I kind of let that, you know, go under the, uh, sound of the bridge. <clears throat> which is crazy because he looked like shit in that fight. And then compared to his last fight, when he fought Adamas, it was like night and day. So, you know, congrats to him. But then, um, so then the next one was Kel Brook. I was supposed to fight Kel Brook on January 1st with the AJ Ruiz card. <clears throat> that was, you know, basically all about that. I agreed to everything. Um, uh, you know, I, I feel as though my, you know, opinion that, you know, I was offered, you know, Shit money, but I took the I wanted the opportunity. I felt as though Kell Brook is way past his time, especially with his performance in his last fight where he didn't look so great against uh, forget his name, the, the dude that Paul Jeff won. Um, so I wanted to take that. Um, never got a contract, never got nothing, and like that just sailed itself under the uh, you know, whatever. So I kind of got a little, you know, uh, disheartened over that. So I said, all right, well, look, man, that's three big fights that just, you know, went between my hands and whatever's going I can do about it. 
uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, we have Rising Star Promotions, so, you know, we were, I was out, you know, we're fortunate enough to, you know, put on shows in in, uh, in New Jersey, so I was scheduled to fight in July, uh, July uh, 20th, did a whole camp, I had, I had an opponent, a quality opponent, he didn't have the best record, but he was a quality guy, um, Carlos, I think Perez, no, Carlos Garcia or something like that, like I said, didn't have a great record, but you know, quality guy and, and, you know, somebody that, you know, fits the bill for a club show eight rounder just to get me back in the ring. <clears throat> um, oh, no, actually, no, uh, I forgot. So I had in February of this year, sorry, February of this year, I was scheduled to fight in Virginia on a show we, we promoted. And I, I got to a car accident a week and a half before the card. And so I was pulled out of that. Um, and then all the other stuff happened with, uh, you know, the the fights I just mentioned. So now I was gonna fight this 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 uh, Carlos kid. I went through the whole camp, did everything I had to do. All was great. We weighed in, we made weight, you know, all all whatever. And um, eight o'clock that night, you know, I wake up from like a little nap, and I and I got an email uh, in my inbox from the athletic commission stating there was some. Uh, I can't really get into it because like we're kind of in like a legal thing with the commission, uh, and that has something to do with it, but. And needless mm. to say, the fight didn't happen. <clears throat> um, again, mm. after we weighed in, after everything was like, you know, just about solid, uh, obviously the fight didn't happen. Um, so next day, show went on. You know, it is what it is. Nothing I could do about it, right? Uh, show went on. Boom. Um, I think, I don't know, maybe like a, two or three days later after we came to a conclusion that, you know, this little this little legal thing we got going on with the commission. We had actually canceled a show that we had scheduled two weeks later, uh, August third. We were going to do a show um, that we had. And that this wasn't the main reason, but you know, one of our main event pulled out due to a um, an injury. <clears throat> so we um we canceled that show. But I would I would have still rocked with it. I would fall on it if uh, you know if I felt as though commission didn't like fuck us over. Excuse my language. I'm sorry. Uh, screw us over. That's fine. Um, you know, with their little thing. So then, uh, what happened? Well, I don't even remember the day I fought. I think August 6th, no, 14th or 17th or something. I was, you know, uh, um, you know, obviously in the, in the in the boxing game, you wheel and deal, you make connections, you meet different people, you talk to different people. And so I landed myself on a, a car down in Mexico because at this point I had to fight uh, because I was taken out of the ratings. They took me out of the ratings due to inactivity. Um, right. cause I was like approaching on close to a year. November 16th would have been a year had I not fought. Um, you know, so like I had to fight and it's cause you know, I just had to fight. So I fought in Mexico. I got, I got a first round KO. Great. Um, came back next month. I was put back in the ratings. And ever since then I've been fortunate enough to, you know, be elevated up, you know, uh, just elevated up. <clears throat> and then, so that kind of leads me into, uh, you know, I had no idea, you know, what I was doing. It's like, okay, I went out to Mexico. You know, I had to pay for my own stuff. I had to pay for my own fight. Cover all my, you know, look, I'm self-promoted, self, you know, everything. So I had to cover my own expenses. You know, look, it is what it is. Um, but then, like, I was kind of at a point, man. It's like, what do I do? What am I going to do? Like, um, you know, really, what am I going to do? Like, I'm not going to be fighting, you know, I'm I, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, even though I'm still young, I'm still not getting any younger. I got a one-year-old. I've been doing boxing for a very long time, and it's like, you know, I'm not getting nothing out of fighting these fights in Atlantic City or 
uh, you know, Mexico or, or stuff like that. So, you know, I was still around, you know, searching around for opportunities. You know, uh, there was talks about me fighting on a couple of local cards, you know, like in the Philly area. You know, nobody up until now is crazy. Um, you know, I was doing stuff in Atlantic City where I would fit the bill. Um, I was actually, you know, I had a I had a good possibility of getting on the card this Saturday actually for top rank. Um, but then uh, I don't know what happened. I'm not gonna lie. I think they had too many fights, or you know, it's just they didn't have enough room. I don't know what it is, but uh, when, when there's when there's a good, there's a bad. I mean, I'm sorry, when there's a bad, there's a good. And so um, I've known Samson Liskowicz for quite some time. I actually was a little intern for Samson when, <clears throat> what was my record? I was like maybe, I was maybe like, I don't know, 10-0, uh, 11-0, whatever. I had fought for Samson. He did a show in Atlantic City, an ESPN card. I had fought on one of Samson's cards. Uh did good. Um, I, don't, I don't remember who I fought, but I fought for him and, you know, all was good. I, you know, I sold good tickets and he paid, everything was great. And so after that, you know, I was interested, I was always interested in being like in the boxing business. You know, I don't know why now looking back at it, but, um, on the business side. And so he brought me in as an intern when he did a, he did like another show at the Tropicana in Atlantic city. He brought me in. I was like, his his like, you know, go-to guy. I was like his go-to person, you know, running errands, doing this, doing that, being behind the scenes. And it was great. And so we kept that, uh, communication for you know all them years and then so one day I just said you know what I gotta make a move because if I don't make a move I'm just gonna be done I retired once I quit once um and was brought back to the game um I don't even know what the word to use I was brought back to the game with you know lies you know more lies I guess you know saying that things are going to be done certain ways and you know, of course they weren't, but, you know, I was so naive. I just wanted, you know, boxes of my life, you know. Like, a game yeah, of deception is what you're describing. You were deceived. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. You know what I mean? And, and especially with me, like, yeah, I, I come from a great home, but, like, boxing is literally, like, all I really had. I'm not going to lie. You know, like, I graduated high school, but, like, I was, school wasn't my thing. I wasn't into really nothing but boxing. Whether if it's inside the ring or outside the ring, it was boxing. And so, um, you know, I always tell them, said, listen, man, I quit once, you know what I mean? And I came back. You know, this time I got to make a, 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 you know, the best out of it, make the best out of it. And so, you know, I reached out to Samson, and, um, you know, it took a little while. You know, he asked some questions. He had, it was crazy because even, like, you know, though me and him were pretty close, he had some uh, concerns. You know, you know, he questioned my he questioned my heart in the game because, you know, I basically did call it quits. You know what I mean? Once he doesn't want to put no time, energy or, or effort or money into me. And then I got to do it again. You know, so I got that. And so, you know, we talked and Samson's a great guy. Like I, I like I have, I have some favorite people in boxing. Um, but Samson Liskowitz is literally probably the only person in boxing that has thus far stuck to his word and done what he said he was going to do for me. Um, in the short working period. And, um, yeah, so, you know, we just, uh, it was all really kind of sort of done on like a handshake deal that, listen, Samson, you know, if I, he, if he doesn't get me nothing by the end of the year, I could walk away. And he had, he had offered me, I'll never forget. It was on, um, Thanksgiving. It was like six o'clock on Thanksgiving. He calls my phone and he says, okay, happy Thanksgiving. First off, 
And second off, how would you like to fight Jorge Coda uh, in the main event on FS1? The, you know what I mean? The featured fight on FS1 on the Julian Williams undercard. And I was like, oh, my God, yeah. You know, like, who, mm. you know, of course. <laughs> yeah, fuck right, right. That was, my exact, that was my exact words. Fuck yeah. And, um, and, 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 and I did have... It was between like that fight or the 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 fight on this Saturday for for Atlantic City. Um, uh, I ultimately was more than likely going to choose the quarter fight, but you know what really sealed the deal for me was when Top Rank you know called and said, "Listen, you know, look, we'll, we'll get you on the next one. You know, we just have whatever going on. You know, it could be you know for whatever reason. I don't know why. I think I kind of sort of have a reason why I got taken off of that card, but you know, I can't really get into it. There's probably some people listening." To that'll you know be offended, but it is what it is. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, but look, regardless of the fact or whatever, man, you know God makes works mysterious ways. I prayed and prayed and prayed that all I want God is an opportunity, and like all I really want is an opportunity. I know I can fight, I know I can rumble. There's a lot of dream middleweights that really can't fuck with me. Um, um, you know, this whole year I just been getting better mentally, physically. I just been getting better, and um, I'm just in a much better spot. I'm just, in a, I'm, just I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in a clear. Space that like really, really like I'm very hard to beat now. Very very hard to beat. And God willing, I could just show that um, on the 18th. <clears throat> if you notice, like, I don't know how much you've been keeping up, but I'm I usually you know like when I'm when I'm getting ready to fight somebody, I talk heavy. I like to talk heavy. Um, right. I'm not even I'm not even about that no more. It's just like look at the end of the day, there's no more talking heavy. I'm just. You go in, I got to fight, I'll train my ass off, and I'm going to, like, do what I got to do to win. Secure victory. I'm done talking. I'm done over-promising under de- and under-delivering to myself. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so that's right. why I haven't really done too many, like, interviews. I haven't really, like, been on social media. Like, I re- I've just been chilling, man. Just go to the gym, do my work, and come home, spend time with my daughter, and just count the days down to, to get in the ring with this Jorge Corda guy. Yeah, it's funny you, know? you should say that because I learned about the fight not from your any of your postings or social media from you. I, I saw it in a news read, a news, you know, feed, fight news actually. And, uh, and then, then I, then I yeah. like tried to track it down to talk to you about it. So, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you know, you have to go through all this bullshit, all this stuff, the deception, the lies and all of that. And you still have to go in there and fight a dangerous guy. And the fight is coming up soon. So uh, from this point until the 18th, what is your approach? What is your everyday uh, daily routine going to be like approaching fight time? Um, listen, just just strategic game plan. And like me and my, my, my coach, my coaches, <clears throat> we have a, you know, <clears throat> a, a really good game plan. I'm in great shape. You know what I mean? I've made myself uncomfortable this camp. You know what I mean? Like, I went out, I, you know, this is like the first time, like, I've I've gone out of my comfort zone to get some spawn. I've been fortunate enough to be able to have a camp where I could bring in spawn partners. Like, I have a, I have a spawn partner here now from, from out of state. You know what I mean? Staying here, like, I had to, you know, go through that whole thing. Because I want to be, I want to give the best of me period, in in this fight, you know. Um, but, like, I've been sparring with the likes like Jerron Ennis, Boots, you know, Boots Ennis, you know, that kid, man, that fucking kid, man, he's just so, he, he's just very, yeah, he's very, special. Like, yeah. 
he's different. Yeah, the kid's different. The kid's different and um, special, very special, you know. So, like, getting great work with him, a lot of, you know, crafty southpaws because the, the dude likes to switch a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I feel as though I have an answer for everything. Now it's just up to me to execute it in the fight. And this is plain and simple. You know what I mean? I know, I feel as though we have an answer for everything he could do. He can't do nothing better than me, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> On paper, he has he has more knockout power than me. And that's great. And he has an awkward style. And that's great. You know what I mean? But this is chess, not checkers. Boxing is, is, right. is a, a, a marathon, not a sprint. We have 10 rounds to fight. It's all about who's going to make the proper adjustments best and who can execute their game plan best. And at the end of the day, you know, I really, really plan on doing that and looking good doing it. And uh, like I said, to change my life tour. I want to change my life because I know what's after this, and um, um, it will change my life for sure. All righty, sounds good. Looking forward to the fight. What is your target weight? For the Saturday, January eighteenth, what do you when you when you tip the scales the night before? What do you want to weigh in at? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Well, the fight's at fifty four, so I'm gonna use every single every single ounce, every pound, man. I, I hope to come in at one fifty four, solid, man. Um, my weight is really good right now with, with a week and a half to go. Uh, you know, a week and two days to the weigh in to go, ten days to the weigh in to go. I feel really good. I'm strong. I feel really strong. I'm not like hurting myself. I'm not uh I'm not hurting myself. I'm not dehydrating myself. I'm sipping a cup of uh you know ice ice cold water now. I'm good. Like it's good. Um I feel like I'm gonna be. Here's the thing. Like okay, Coda. Like if you look at it, he's a big dude. He looks big. I think we seen him. I never met him. Obviously, no. But he looks brolic. You know, in shoulders. But so he fought Charlo. Charlo's obviously you know a huge monstrous deadly puncher. So is Lubin as well. Um, they're both like crazy punches. Lubin's like five nine, ish. You know what I mean? So he doesn't have the you know like great height uh, advantage. You know what I mean? Like Charlo, Charlo's like five eleven, six foot. Here's the thing, man. I'm damn near six two, with a with a right. decent frame, with a decent you know frame. <clears throat> um, in junior middleweight now, because you understand, I've been fighting one forty seven. Technically, like really, like I can't really say technically because I don't want to disrespect my last opponent that I fought in Mexico. But, you know, since after that fight, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, since before that fight, I was 147 for God knows how how many years. I think since before Dusty Harrison, that was like 2016. So I, I've been, you know, 147 for all these years. And, you know, my body, my, my, my body mass really didn't show, you know, really. I was just, I was just like a tall, lanky kid. I really feel that at 154. My body's more filled in, you know. I'm, I'll be more like you know, my endurance will be better. I hope, and um, you know, just be able to make me think more and 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 do more stuff in the ring. You know what I mean? I, with this with this uh, additional size, you know. So you know, I guess we'll see what happens on the 18th, right? Uh, I could be talking for for days, but we'll see what happens. Definitely, and we appreciate your time again. January the 18th, Thomas Cornflake Lamana takes on Jorge yeah. Coda. A lot on stake, a lot at stake, I should say. It's a 10 round yeah. super welterweight fight. 
main event on the FS1 portion, and then uh, goes over the Fox 5, where Julian Williams is uh, part of the main event. So it's going to be a very fun night of boxing. We appreciate you coming on so close to the fight. Now's the time for some closing remarks. Any social media you want to give, any shout-outs to anybody in your team or your family you want to give, now's the time. For sure, for sure. Well, one, I appreciate you always having me. Um, I know, like I said, in the, in the message, uh, you know, forgive me for, you know, not being able to, you know, be as, um, I wouldn't say approachable because I'm very approachable, but like, you know, very available, I should say, you know, obviously, you know, getting closer to the fight, a lot of things going on, you know, sometimes I just be in my zone, I got to take care of obligations, right. you know, like gym or medical, stuff like that, you know, so, um, I appreciate you having me, um, you know, social media. Official Conflict Boxing on on Instagram, um, uh, Thomas Conflict Lamont on Facebook. Make sure y'all follow my hashtag Dark Places. That's where I live by. That's where I go by. You know what I mean? Because I truly feel that's where I, you know in boxing, that's where I came from, a real dark place. Um, with just the the amount of bullshit that that I had to go through and and the the, the path I had to take to get to what you know where I'm at um, uh, in order to get this big opportunity. So make sure y'all follow my hashtag Dark Places and um, January 18th, man, live on FS1. Yo, this is changing my life tour, uh, and it all starts on the 18th, man. So again, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all ours. Thomas Cornflake Lamada, looking forward to this fight. For sure. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so there you have it. In the fight, if you want to try and get to it live, not sure if there's any tickets left, but it is in the Lycora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We talked about uh, Philadelphia already. We have these big fights this weekend. It's a big uh, fight weekend, January the 18th as well. So after a slow start at the beginning of the year with nothing going on next weekend, these next few weekends are going to be chalk of pugilism and I think overall solid matchups. I'll talk more about the matchups on January 18th when we get uh, closer uh, to it, but uh, we got we got a lot of good stuff coming up and uh, we uh, are certainly looking forward to it this weekend. Uh, you have the Dazone stuff, you have the ESPN stuff and uh, the way things are set up I mean, a, a boxing fan can uh, really uh, soak it all in. And and for sports fans, you have the big football playoffs uh, going on, so you might have to juggle that. Uh, for me, I'm not going to watch the playoffs if the boxing is on. It's not really uh, – football doesn't really interest me unless there's nothing else on. If there's boxing on, I, I certainly don't even uh, – Think about football, and uh, with the football, there's also a big card coming up, uh, Super Bowl Eve, that uh, Top Rank is uh, uh, showcasing, and we'll talk more about that when we get closer to the Super Bowl. But uh, for now, uh, this weekend, Hart versus Smith Jr., Mongia versus Spike Sullivan, uh Gut. My gut tells me neither fight is going to go the distance. If one fight will go the distance, I think Hart and Smith have a much better chance of going the distance, but we'll see. Uh, thank you so much to uh, Ms. Michelle Rosado, Dafir Smith, and Thomas Lorne, Corton Lorne, Thomas Cornflake, Lamana. Yes, I've been on the air too long now. I'm mumbling my words, so it's time to get out of here. Until then, ring the bell and keep on punching.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.